Get ready for your weekly dose of inspiration and motivation from spiritual entrepreneurs that carry the love and experience to help you find happiness regardless of how your morning starts. Sit back with a coffee or tune in during your morning commute and manifest with us. You're listening to Inspirational Morning with your host, Victoria Scanlon. Welcome, welcome back, you guys. It is episode, I think, 22. I think I hope I'm right. I don't know. Welcome back, though. Happy Wednesday, hump day. Ooh, I used to do a show called Hump Days. It was awesome. Um, Yeah, happy Wednesday. Today is March 16th. It is currently like 11 at night because baby has been teething. He does not feel very good. So we have been taking care of him and loving him, trying different teething methods and just kind of being there. He didn't take like a single nap today, which was so bad. He usually takes two to four of them. So you can imagine little man was super, super tired and he didn't go to bed till about 20 minutes ago. And poor little dude was so exhausted that he just ended up like his teeth finally weren't bothering him to the point where he couldn't sleep. And he looked at us and started doing his cry coos when he's ready for bed because he communicates. He tells us what he needs. And he told us he was tired. So we're like, okay. So dad took him into the bedroom. And the second he got into his dark bedroom before Tyler even sat down into the rocking chair to get him to sleep, he passed out completely knocked little dude was so tired and so Tyler sat in the rocking chair rocking him for about five ten minutes and he was completely knocked and now he's sleeping finally he'll probably sleep through the night now that his teeth feel better and man that is just baby teething is wild he's a very good kid he doesn't really cry unless he's tired and his schedule gets messed up and he can't sleep or he's hungry or he's uncomfortable and he was definitely uncomfortable today so it is 11 p.m but all this is still all my notes are still relevant so here we are i'm going to upload tonight technically very very early on the 17th i think it would be so hello the moon was just in leo just to kind of hop into the podcast uh the moon was just in leo and it's now in virgo Ooh, i'm a virgo and as of about 5 p.m today it was it switched over to virgo um it is highly recommended by astrologers not to make important decisions today which ironically i did not know that until a little bit later in the day But luckily, I don't think I really did anything. I just kind of took my car to the mechanic and hung out with Baby Man. I think that's about it, yeah. Went to the store, got some stuff for the baby, because he is fat. He is only four and a half, five months, well, five months now, and he's in like nine-month clothes. But the bodies, the body parts that are affected um, by this energy beaming at us according to astrologers I always have to say that because this is information I pull from science websites um, is the pancreas the intestines and the digestive tract so things you could focus on during this time to improve your health of these sensitive areas or the body in general right now you could drink a cleansing juice juice mix you could drink extra water which is always recommended and you can meditate on the solar plexus and use yellow stones in meditation etc last episode we talked about the throat chakra um, and how to use blue stones this would be the same kind of thing and you know instead of going over all of that again you already know and if not go back and I talk about all types of ways to utilize stones and meditation to focus on certain chakra systems or parts of the body that are being affected right now and right now all you need to know is the solar plexus and yellow stones in meditation so you can utilize the knowledge from the last episode for the relevant knowledge now um man juicing is such a cool thing so that's something you could utilize to target these certain areas and help them feel better it's something i've recently started doing because after years of debating on getting a juicer tyler bit the bullet for me and got me a juicer for our anniversary what a homie it was like you know you're an adult when you get an appliance and you're so excited about it but i seriously was i was so pumped I started with a deep red blend with the first beat or the first uh, 
juice mix that I made in my juicer was a red blend and I used beets and carrots and obviously red apples and ginger and lemon and stuff to break down the flavor of the beets. Then in the next one, I made an orange one with pineapple, mango, carrot, and ginger. Again, apples and lemon and stuff. I just kind of add ginger, apples, and lemon to everything that I make because it's delicious and it adds sweetness and breaks down the flavors and makes them taste good. Uh, right now in my fridge, I have a green blend, which I personally was the most excited because I really like green blend juices. If you guys have ever tried, tried Bolt House Farms, those are absolutely amazing, like smoothie juices. They're so good. The green one is my favorite. I like the red and I like the blue. But for the green blend, I used celery, spinach, green apple, ginger, lemon, and stuff like that. I tried to use kale, but kale just kind of made my juicer cry at me, so I didn't actually do it, although I think people have said they have, but I'm not sure. Um, I need to find my favorite blends and then find the right amounts of each amounts of each ingredient to make it taste right. But I know that when I drink the last few, even if I don't love the flavor because I'm kind of not getting the ratios right you know I'm not following a recipe I'm just kind of like okay these are the things I want in there I know I need something sweet to break down the veggies or greens I know I need lemon I know I need ginger these are going to pull all these flavors together but I think I'm not getting enough apple and lemon and ginger to like improve the flavor of <laughs> the savory vegetables or the greens so it ends up all three of these batches have kind of ended up tasting weird um but I still like them you know it's not a big deal and I'll learn over time and you know I'm getting really good nutrients from these blends juicing isn't something you should do all day every day I don't necessarily agree with juice cleanses unless you are a very spiritual person doing something like Dr. Sebi's diet which even then I don't think you're supposed to eat anything um, I definitely think you need sustenance and protein and fiber, but it is a delicious daily morning booster for sure. Sometimes I take a glass of it to work with me to sip on because like, you know, I have my coffee in the morning because sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, I'm going to wait until right before work to get coffee, but then I have to leave early and I just kind of want to get my coffee in the morning and go home and sip on it while I'm chilling with baby and taking care of the house. And then I take one of my juice blends to work so I can sip on something because I don't want to drink tap water at work. And the coolest part is that I can use it for certain areas of the body, which was the whole point of bringing this up. So when those areas are more sensitive with the moon cycle, the beet mix was great for the liver. The orange mix was good for my eyes and the green mix is good for protecting the cells, organs, and blood from oxidative damage because of the celery and some of the other ingredients, which spinach also has iron and I have an iron deficiency. Um, and I lack iron because of my low iron vegetarian diet. So juicing is just good all around, but yeah. So because you're, um, pancreas, intestines, and digestive tract are being affected, you could see what foods have what you need to improve the health of those parts of the body. And then with a juicer, you can just make a cool little delicious blend and sip on it, and that's a cool way to heal yourself. You know what I'm saying? So getting into this week's moon cycle a bit more in detail, we are about to pass a full moon. And y'all know my favorite times of the year are all of our new moons and full moons. Those are my favorite. And this month is the worm moon, W-O-R-M moon, as in like earthworm. We talked just a bit about it a few years back because I think the first year we did this, every single new moon, every full moon, I talked about what the full moon was. And I'm going to again this year because, duh. You can always recap or maybe you've heard it before because you've listened to all the episodes, but it's always fun to speak on whatever full moon we have newly and freshly and teach people about it. That's the whole point of this podcast It's following the moon cycles and the full moons are some of the most important parts of the month. Um, the worm moon is named this way because of this time of year. The worms start to appear in the soil because everything is heating up finally. So what's so cool about this is when the worms start to appear in the soil, you know that things are heating up enough and people can start farming and prepping their uh, land or even their soil beds or whatever you plant in. It's really good for farmers and gardeners because this can be a sign that it's time to start planting. And there are little, 
I don't know if you guys read the Farmer's Almanac or you have any like gardener blogs that you follow. It really depends on if that's something you do. But they have specific dates for this month. Um, I think the second and third of this month was a good time to plant above ground vegetables and plants or whatever. And then I think past like the 18th, but please don't quote me. I don't remember is good for deep ground plants, stuff that you plant a little deeper that really root down or even grow in the ground like potatoes and root vegetables and stuff. So just look into it if it's something you're trying to do. Cause if you do garden, you know what I'm saying? You're going to want to start planting cause it's March. So for me, I want to do a like a pot garden, not cannabis, but an outdoor potted vegetable garden and herb garden. I've learned that it's the easiest way to keep things clean, right? And tamed. So if you have, say, a 10 gallon pot with holes in the bottom, always have holes in the bottom of your plant pots. That's a major tip. Um, and you put good potting soil in there. If it needs something to vine up, you put it in the pot or right behind it in the ground if it needs to be a little more sturdy. And then you put one single seed into that whole pot. So like a cucumber plant, you could grow the whole cucumber plant. You could grow a, a pea plant. You could grow a couple carrots. You could grow stuff like that, you know, and you could even do barrel planting for potatoes. But I want to do something like that. I don't want to do a big raised bed. I don't want to do in-ground planting. It's portable. It's easy to take care of. And there's no weeds if I just do a pot with a plant. So I really like that. And I kind of want to do it at my new house this year. I did last year, but I potted in-ground. And that's when I kind of realized I don't like doing weed management. <laughs> so if you garden, definitely look into starting your seedlings. Some people start them indoors beforehand and then put them outside right now, but it's all in, you know, up to what you like doing. You know what I'm saying? Moving on, though, the moon will be in Virgo. And according to astrologers, that means that there's reminders everywhere to roll up your sleeves and get to work to manifest your dreams. And you guys know I'm all about that. I talk about it constantly. We're always here talking about manifesting and moving forward with good vibes and doing what's necessary to take care of yourself while balancing forward movement and achievement and goals, right? Um, but Virgo is, after all, a sign that focuses on perfectionism, organization, and productivity. But in order to find forward motion in your efforts, it's important to put efficiency to the forefront of your actions. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to just do things unfocused. The power of a Virgo is to do things organized and well, and it makes things smoother. Trust me, we're very logical, and we are very good at getting things done the right way the first time. <laughs> um, but there's a worm moon exercise I actually want you guys to do. And I get it, it's halfway through the month, but it is almost the full moon, so this is going to be perfect for this weekend, or the day of the full moon, you know, to be the best time to do so. Um, it is an ongoing exercise though. Uh, this moon is going to reveal the inner motivator within you. Virgo is all about planting firmly to the earth and relying on yourself to get stuff done, right? So whatever you are currently working towards, sit down, take a few breaths and formulate a cognitive plan of action. Write down the current goal and what you think it takes to achieve it. Then outline the courses of actions you can take to make each step simple and doable and just do it. It's important not to burn yourself out though, okay? And to also do what's necessary to give yourself the motivation to complete the plan because a well-detailed plan is nothing without the focus and energy to achieve it, right? Whatever this means for you, you know, for me, it means taking a relaxing bath to soak my sore muscles, writing in my journal to let go of what keeps me tense but also find gratitude in everything. It's kind of a balancing act, journaling or eating a healthy diet to fuel my body with good nutrients instead of cheese and junk, which I am very guilty of. <laughs> but in times where I really need energy and need to focus up, it's really a good idea to cut that out and kind of implement better things. Um, eat a little bit cleaner. It's going to make your brain and energy feel better, trust me. <clears throat> and drinking plenty of water and getting proper rest is also a huge, huge part of staying energized during a busy week. And just all together, those are... Two things that are essential to not aging super quick and never having energy in life. And a full moon is always meant to be a peak point in your monthly efforts mixed with gratitude for what you've accomplished. 
And accomplishment isn't always bringing a goal to fruition. Sometimes it's sticking to a habit that improves your mental or physical health, or letting go of someone or something holding you back, letting go of thoughts or hyperfixations of the mind on something that doesn't serve your highest good, taking better care of yourself, or even finishing a good book, you know? Whatever makes you feel accomplished. And then when the new moon comes, you have a night of super self-care, journal about your experiences, challenges, achievements, emotions, etc., and you refocus on what is important to you in the coming month. It's a really nice reset. As someone with anxiety, this way of living has helped me keep on track with a lot. And I'm not perfect. Sometimes I fall off the bandwagon as with my spiritual practices or, you know, things like that. But with business, with recentering and finding balance within myself, my responsibilities being taken care of and things like that, this is very important for me, you know, following the cycles of the of the moon and doing what we talk about, about, you know, focusing, creating goals, self-care in the new moon, and then appreciating everything we've accomplished in the full moon, and then really kind of like going hard at our goals and then chilling again at the new moon. It's really worked for me. It may not work for everyone, but if you're a regular listener, I can be sure that at least these things are enjoyable to think about and listen to, and that it at least vibes with you a little bit, you know? Um, I don't know about you guys, but this last month has been weird for me in the sense that, like, I've seen weirdness everywhere in my life, right? During restaurant week, which if you guys didn't know, uh, Northwest Ohio, Perrysburg, Toledo restaurant week just passed. I made a bunch of silly mistakes at work, and I swear my boss thinks I'm dumb, even though I'm very, very intelligent. You know, people do dumb things. I've done very dumb things, but I'm still very intelligent, and the week that oh man the week of restaurant week it was just so funny like my tables were crazy restaurant week brings out the most annoying tables who have the weirdest requests or they just mess things up like just to give an example right we have scallops on our menu it's one of our most expensive plates it's like 30 bucks 28 to be exact you get a bed of pancetta and sweet corn risotto and then like six scallops laid on top with microgreens as a garnish delicious but we have a dish that is jalapeno black bean ravioli it's totally delicious come visit me and try it but this this lady said I want jalapeno black bean ravioli and then she pointed at the entree scallops and said and I want scallops and I was like okay and I was confused as to why she would want two expensive meals to herself so I repeated it back you want the jalapeno ravioli and you want the scallops She's like, yeah. So then she gets her food and she goes, I just wanted scallops on top of my ravioli. And I was like, oh my God. So my chef, head chef, we're a, a higher end restaurant. So we have a head chef. And he comes up to me. He goes, your table just wanted scallops. He, she didn't want the whole meal. And he's looking at me, at me like I'm stupid for not knowing that I should have just added them to her pasta. And I was like, dude, she literally pointed at the scallops entree with risotto and said, and I want scallops. <laughs> so I can see how I was stupid, but also I give myself the benefit of like that happened that way and I get why I made the mistake, but it was just little things like that, you know, ringing things in wrong. It was so weird. And the week after, I didn't take care of my ever-growing responsibility list that I try to complete little by little. I'm very... OCD. So I have this like list on my cell phone and anytime there's something that's super important from the past that I haven't taken care of that I need to or that comes up that is important that I need to focus and make sure I get done, I put it on this list and then when I plan out my weeks or my months, I usually go about a week out unless I need something to be remembered later on. I take the most important things on that list and I put one on each day of the week, right? I didn't even do that. I didn't even do anything I needed to. I just kind of made sure I did the basics to survive <laughs> and like chilled with my kid. <laughs> um, and then the the last two podcast episodes, I had made weird mistakes as well. I haven't been editing because I like the rawness of just uploading and chatting. I haven't even been really writing notes for my podcast. And in the one, two episodes ago, I said it was 2020 instead of 2022 and noticed after I upload, uploaded 
And then in the last episode, I said Sterling was a Sagittarius fire sign when he's really a Scorpio water sign. And I know those things weren't right. And I knew this the entire time, but I hadn't been thinking or writing notes. And I was just, again, making weird mistakes this month. And that's okay. I'm telling you this because what I want to tell you is that things happen and it's human nature. My personality is to focus on perfectionism. So these things really frustrated me, but I have luckily implemented the way of living mentioned a minute ago, along with meditation and awareness, which has given me the tools necessary to not fixate on that frustration and instead to take a few breaths, understand that not everything is perfect and in control at all times. Things happen and life is good and I can journal about it, think on it briefly and move on because there's more to life than tiny mistakes. And that reminds me of an entry in one of the books I read to you guys. I have read to you before about the nine stages of training the mind. It's all about 10-ish pages, probably 10, 12 pages, but I'd like to read it in a few minutes to you because, again, I said in the last episode, one of my favorite things to do ever is a segment from one of my favorite books. And this kind of popped out to me with talking about what we've been talking about in this episode. So I have a set aside here and I'm going to talk to you I'm not talk to you, but I'm going to read that in just a few minutes. But first, um, something I want to talk about in this episode that I briefly mentioned in the last is mantras. I was talking about mantras, which are hand signs that correlate with chakras and can be, oh, not mantras. I was talking about mudras, which are hand signs that correlate with the chakras and can be used in meditation. But I couldn't remember the name of the words associated with them. And ironically, it's just mantras. Apparently, it's the simplest form of a mantra, a singular word that correlates to each chakra. So I wanted to teach those to you guys here, not only so that you have that information, as I promised, but so that it's solidified into my mind at least a little bit and also available for me to re listen to later in the future. Because like I said, I constantly listen to my podcast and I listen to so many others as well. So, you know, I would love to have it here. Um, but mudras and mantras. So for the fingers, your thumb is your root chakra and it is fire as the sign. And then the index is air. The middle finger is ether. The ring is earth and the little is water, right? Which is cool. Um, I want to get tattoos on my hands, and I actually got my right side done. Um, that's a whole story I'll talk about in a minute. And on the left side, I want to put the chakra symbol for each of those five things along with the element that goes with it just to kind of, I don't know, it's a spiritual thing. I want it to symbolize, you know, the energy flow through my body. I think it's pretty cool. Kind of the point of all my tattoos. But talking about the mudras, so the root chakra is Lam. The sacral chakra is Vam. The solar plexus is Ram. The heart is Jam. The throat is Hum. The third eye is Om. And the crown is Ah. And I highly recommend that you guys look on YouTube for a mantra meditation. Now there's literally, especially so you know how to, you know, say these words correctly, because I didn't know before looking into these. Um, you know, you can look at the word and read it, but when you actually hear how it's supposed to be said is a whole new story, right? Um, I highly recommend looking up YouTube videos to meditate with each of these mantras. And in that video, in most of them, at least the ones I click, they have spiritual music behind it, usually with specific frequencies. As we know, the body is of frequencies and each chakra has a different frequency. So hopefully whoever created the song knows to put the frequency of that chakra into music, which correlates. That's another story too. I really want to make music for meditation that takes that into point where, you know, each note has a frequency, each chakra has a frequency. So with that knowledge, you can turn the frequency-based things into a note and create a symphony of music according to those, and it'll properly connect to your body, but that's a whole thing. So they have 
each of these mantras one by one, put into musical form for you to meditate on, and they say it for you. Music is a great way to focus and meditate and feel good. That way you can learn what the words are and say it along with it, or just, you know, say it later in the future, whatever works for you. I've always said that online meditation music is amazing, especially if you're a beginner to this, because Meditation can be complex and extremely simple, as is anything, any viewpoint or way of living or whatever. You literally can just turn on a meditation song that has a specific purpose or frequency or focus, whatever. Sit down, relax your body, do stretches. It's always recommended to do full body stretches before meditating because you fully relax yourself and you focus on yourself and become aware, right? And then you just meditate to the song. You focus on breathing wholly and deeply, let things flow and just listen to the song. So with these mantras, I think it can be very beneficial. And bonus points, if you learn the mudras and you do each hand sign as it goes through those words which would be so cool. I have not yet tried it. I definitely will be. And I'll get back to you on how I feel after. Um, but these can be used as tools to connect and activate each chakra, balance them in meditation, etc. <clears throat> and that leads me to this episode's affirmation before we end with our reading segment. And this isn't just like one sentence this time. It's multiple. Sometimes you need that. You know what I'm saying? This time I needed that. <laughs> this episode's affirmation is, Tonight, I accept that things are falling into place for me. I am happy. I am at peace. I am calm. Everything is working out for me. I am blossoming into my fullness like the moon. I release all negativity from my life. I know that I am enough. I am spreading good energy wherever I go. Say it with me. I always want you guys to say the second one with me if you can. Tonight I accept that things are falling into place for me. I am happy. I am at peace. I am calm. Everything is working out for me. I am blossoming into my fullness like the moon. I release all negativity from my life. I know that I am enough. I am spreading good energy wherever I go. I love talking about meditation and I love adding an affirmation because it's everything just kind of goes together. It fits together like a puzzle piece. The type of meditations we talk about, the parts of the body we talk about, the chakra we talk about, the tools for finding and centering yourself or manifesting or whatever we talk about and focus about, the affirmation is always perfect. And if you implement everything that we talk about in one, it fits together like a puzzle piece to create a really good way of doing things after each episode. <laughs> now, okay, hold on. So I do actually really want to read you guys this. And it is more pages than I'm used to reading. So... That's why I kind of made sure that I only got halfway through this episode before we switched into this because I think it might take the last half of the episode, but I'm not sure. So again, as I've said before, if you guys would like more of this, I would be happy to implement either a long or short segment into each episode. It makes me very happy to do so. Um... And if you guys don't really enjoy it, I will spread them out more and only do it occasionally because I do still want to stick to what I enjoy and do it at least once in a blue moon. But if you don't love it, just let me know on Instagram. As I've said so many times before, that's the good way to get a hold of me. Um, shoot, you could even text me on my, um, my real estate phone and be like, yo, I'm from the podcast. I love when you do this. You know what I mean? Um, and if you don't like it, just let me know. And I'll do it less, but I do actually really like this. And I can't wait to hear what kind of books you guys enjoy so that I can implement those too. And this is from, we always have to give 100% credit to the artist, or not, not the artist, the, um, the author. It's an A word, Victoria, it's fine. To the author and let you guys know what book and who it was written by. 
because it's not my work. It is theirs. And by me reading this, if you guys enjoy the things that I read, I so highly recommend that you go buy these books. If you love what I read, there are so many more beautiful parts of these books. I highly, highly recommend that you buy one for yourself and read it from front to back because these are all amazing and they have been transformative for me for sure. This one is from Turning the Mind into an Ally by Sekyong Mifum. Okay, I think I read Happiness last time, a segment from there. This is page 114, chapter 11, the nine stages of training the mind. I'm so excited to read this to you guys. Oh my God. Okay. As the lineage of meditators sat on their cushions and worked with their minds, they saw the same unfolding process. Nine ways that the mind can be true to its inherent, inherent stability, clarity, and strength. In their descriptions of nine stages of training the mind, they left us signposts of that process. These guidelines are helpful because the mind is so vast that if we're left to our own devices, we'll usually just wander in thought. These nine stages are a map of the meditative process. The first four stages, placement, continual placement, repeated placement, and close placement, have to do with developing stability. Stages 5 and 6, taming and pacifying, have to do with developing clarity. And the last three stages, thoroughly pacifying, one-pointed, and equanimity, have to do with building strength. Number one is placement. Building our mind on the breath is the first thing we do in meditation. In the moment of placing our mind, we're mounting the horse. We put our foot in the stirrup and pull ourselves up to the saddle. It's a matter of taking our seat properly. This moment of placement starts when we attract our when we extract our mind from its engagement with events, problems, thoughts, and emotions. We take that wild and busy mind and place it on the breath. Even though we're placing our consciousness, which isn't physical, placement feels very physical. It's as deliberate as placing a rock on top of a leaf. In order for placement to be successful, we have to formally acknowledge that we're letting go of concepts, thoughts, and emotions. Now I'm placing my mind upon the breath. What happens in that moment? Our attachments are uprooted. If we can even attempt such a thing, our discursiveness is greatly reduced. At the same time, by placing it on the breath, we're gathering that mind that's spread thin all over. For beginning meditators, the first stage is where we learn how to balance the focus on breathing, recognition of thoughts, and holding the posture. It's a grace period during which we develop good meditation habits. As we continue on our practice, placement is always the first step. It's that moment at the beginning of each session when we recognize and acknowledge that we've begun meditating. Because it establishes our attitude toward the rest of the session, it's the most important stage. The moment of placement gives our meditation a crisp, clean start. If we begin in a vague or ambiguous way, then our meditation will only continue to be vague and ambiguous. Like placing a domino, how carefully we place our mind in the first stage will directly affect the development of the next. After that first moment, each time you choose to recognize and acknowledge a thought and return to your consciousness to the breath, you're learning placement. It's such a small act, so innocuous. Innocuous? Sometimes I don't know how to say these words. My bad. <laughs> but it's one of the most courageous things you can do. When you recognize and release that thought, you can take pride in yourself. You've overcome laziness. You've remembered the instructions. You can feel happy coming back to the breath. Don't worry that you're going to have to do it again. You're going to do it thousands of times. That's why it's called practice. Each time you remember to place your mind on the breath, you're moving forward. Just by letting a thought go, you're extracting yourself from concepts, negative emotions, and bewilderment. You're letting go of the need to be endlessly entertained and consumed. You have to do it again and again and again. Change happens one breath at a time, one thought at a time. Each time you return to the breath, you're taking one step away from addiction to discursiveness and fear and one step forward on the path of enlightenment, beginning with developing compassion for yourself. I love golf. I play it whenever I can. No matter what kind of game I'm having, I can hit only one ball at a time. Each ball is the only ball. My mind has to be fresh every time. If I think of the balls I've hit or the balls I will hit, I'm not really hitting this ball. I'm only ingraining bad habits. 
It's the same with placement. If you're not crisp and fresh and recognizing and releasing thoughts, you're not really meditating. You're ingraining sloppiness. Those thoughts will gain power and eventually you won't be meditating at all. You'll just be thinking. Recognizing, acknowledging, and releasing a thought is like reaching the top of a mountain. It's worthy of a warrior's cry. Kiki so so. What we celebrate is leaving behind the self-indulgent fantasies that will rob us of our life unless we work with them properly. Inspiration, view, effort, trust, mindfulness, and awareness support us in this. The more we're able to gather our attention and focus, the stronger our mind becomes, the stronger the experience becomes, and the stronger the result becomes. We know we're able to place our minds properly when we can hold our focus on the breathing for roughly 21 cycles without our mind becoming enormously distracted. Two is continual placement. Placing our mind on the breath is now fairly easy. We've learned to mount the horse and we now feel comfortable being in the saddle. The horse is walking along the trail. We're experiencing how it feels to be on the breath and to be continually in placement. When discursiveness and distraction take us off the rail, off the trail, by and large, we're able to implement placement to get back on. What allows us to do this is further development of mindfulness and awareness, lack of laziness, and remembering the instructions. Another reason we're able to successfully place our mind on the breath is that we have confidence in the reasons why we're meditating. We do it with enthusiasm because we know it will bring us peace. We see the, fut the futility of outside concerns, fantasies, thoughts, and emotions. We're willing to give them up at least for a period of our meditation because we see the benefits of doing so. Placement has become a reasonable thing to do. When resting our mind on the breathing and relating to our thoughts with ease becomes the norm. We're becoming, we're coming to the end of this stage. A benchmark is that we're able to rest our minds for roughly 108 cycles of breath without being caught in distraction. Through 108 breaths in and out, we can be mindful of breathing. Although we may experience some discursiveness, the thoughts aren't bothersome or large enough that we lose mindfulness and forget the breathing altogether. At this stage, our mindfulness and stability lasts only so long, then our mind drifts off. But when the mainstay of our practice is that we can stay on the breathing for 108 breaths, giving ourselves a little wiggle room in that we will neither completely be still nor completely distracted, then we've graduated from the second to the third stage, which is known as, known as repeated placement. Three, that brings us to three, repeated placement. We might feel like we've been doing repeated placement since the beginning, but the landscape of meditation is fast and the stage is progressively subtle because they describe our experience, which becomes more and more refined. The Tibetan word for this stage is len, which means to retrieve, to gather, to bring back. We've learned how to place our mind and how to continue to place our mind, but occasionally a thought still breaks out like a wild horse galloping across the plains. In the first two stages, this happened incessantly. By the third stage, it happens only occasionally. During the second stage, we learn to enjoy the ride. We're delighted that we can stay in the saddle and enjoy the scenery. In the third stage, we become more confident, but the horse still has spontaneous moments of excitement and wildness. Now and then it rears or bucks and leaves the trail. We have to bring it back. We practice occasionally retrieving it throughout the third stage, and by the end, we do it less and less. Our mindfulness is maturing into stability. Now we're able to focus on our breathing, on being present. When the mind departs, it's usually to chase fantasies of little pleasures, from food to better weather to romantic adventures. This is elation. We're holding our mind too tightly. We're focused on the breath so hard that the mind suddenly departs. As this stage progresses, the speed and efficiency with which we retrieve our mind increases. By comparison, the way we extracted ourselves from thoughts in earlier stages looks messy. Sometimes it was like quicksand. The harder we tried to get out, the more we were embroiled. But now, because mindfulness is so strong, we're able to remove ourselves with precision. By the end of this stage, we've achieved one of the milestones of sh shamantha, stability. Mindfulness is so potent that we're able to remain on the breath without ever being fully distracted. Awareness is also becoming more astute. We're beginning to catch thoughts before they occur. Our meditation isn't as clear and vibrant as it could be, but it feels good and peaceful because we've stabilized our minds. Throughout the course of a session, our mind always remains in the theater of meditation. This is an admirable accomplishment. 
In Tibet, it is likened to a vulture soaring high in the sky over a dead animal. This bird now always keeps its eye on the food. It may drift a little to the left or right, but it never loses sight of the food. Similarly, our minds may drift here and there, but never away from the breath. Before the end of the third stage, sometimes we're present for our, our practice, and sometimes we weren't. Now we're there for all of it. This is stability. Didn't happen because we hit ourselves over the head with an overly simplified meditation technique. We achieved it gently and precisely through repetition, consistency, view, attitude, intention, proper posture, and good surroundings. Four, close placement. The entry to the fourth stage, which is known as close placement, is marked by non-distraction. We always remain close to the breath. That's when we know we've crossed the border. This is stability. We know that even though the horse will wander here and there, it won't be leaving the trail. Our meditation now takes on a different twist. Previously, our main concern was not to be distracted from the breath. We were worried that our mind was going to be sucked back into everyday problems. We were always wondering if we'd be strong enough to return to the breath. Now we're more relaxed. We're no longer wondering if we can stay on the breath because we know we can. We're no longer concerned about outside influences pulling us away from meditation because we know they won't. Our confidence is heightened. Now we're concerned about the quality of our meditation, the texture, the experience. Before we were worried that we couldn't get a cup of coffee, now we want a mocha cappuccino. <laughs> How can we make our minds stronger, more vibrant? This is our new priority. By and large, we've overcome the obstacles of laziness and forgetting the instruction. These obstacles were bad because they kept us from meditating. By the end of the third stage and into the fourth stage, we're dealing with the obstacles of elation and laxity, either extreme has distracting results. However, since by now we're always remaining at the scene of our practice, these are considered good problems to have. In Tibet, we're warned that at the fourth stage we might be fool enough to think we've achieved enlightenment or high realization. The mind feels so strong and stable and good. Because the struggle with our mind has been reduced greatly, there's a quality of joy and ease. But if we enjoy the stability of the mind too much, it, become, it will become too relaxed. We might not reach at the other stages, hence the obstacle of laxity. Our mind is stable but not clear. The bird can't land on the meat, it can only fly around it. We need awareness to home in, sharpen sensibility, pull our mind in tighter. 5. Is Taming Even though the accomplishments at the third and fourth stages are heroic, there's further to go. In the fifth stage, we're able to heighten up our meditation by bringing in more clarity. This stage is known as taming because we begin to experience the true fruits of a tamed mind, something that we begin to cultivate long ago in the first stage. Taming here is the experience of lesu rongwa, being able to make our mind workable. In the fourth stage, we might feel awed by the fact that we've tamed the horse, but now in strong, stable, and clear mind feels natural. Our mind is not perfectly still. We still have discursive thoughts, but we're feeling true synergy with the horse. We're feeling harmony. We're no longer struggling. The harmony and synergy create joy. A traditional metaphor for what we experience at this stage is the delight of a bee drawing nectar from a flower. Meditation tastes good, joyous. If you've ever had a hard time and then suddenly felt the pressure lift, you might have briefly known such bliss and liberation. Six is pacifying. The sixth stage is known as pacifying. A great battle has taken place and there is victory. We're seated on the horse surveying the field. We know we've won. We feel tranquil and vibrant like mountain greenery after a thunderstorm. Everything has been watered and energized. There is tremendous clarity. We're still working with a mind that is sometimes tight and sometimes loose. Our practice, In our practice, we still have to make many little adjustments. But in making these adjustments, we're no longer frantic as we might have been in the first few stages. Then it was questionable that we would ever make our mind an ally, and now the peace we feel tells us that we have. Our meditation is joyous and clear. We begin to experience not only mind's natural harmony, but it also, also its inherent strength. At this stage, we also feel excitement. We begin to see the possibilities of what we can accomplish with our tamed mind. Before, this relationship was a burden, and now it's full of possibilities. The wild horse has been tamed. 7. Thoroughly pacifying. The battle may be over, but there are still a few little enemy soldiers running around in the form of subtle thoughts, mostly about pleasure. 
we may be slightly attached to how good meditation feels. There are little dualistic rumblings. Although we know that they're not going to disrupt our meditation, we can't just sit back and ignore them. In thoroughly pacifying, we don't dispel the thoughts as we did in stage four. Now we seduce them, like snow falling into fire. Our meditation is becoming so strong that when thoughts and emotions encounter its heat, they naturally dissolve. Remember the waterfall of thoughts we felt when we first sat down on the cushion to tame our minds? It's become a lake with only a few ripples. Eight, one-pointed. By the eighth stage, known as one-pointed, the remnants of discursiveness have evaporated. We're sitting there completely awake, clear, and knowing. This is possible because we're no longer distracted. Our meditation has developed all the attributes of perfection, which is what we will accomplish in, at the ninth stage. The only difference is that at the beginning of meditation, we still have to make a slight effort to point our mind in the direction of the breath. Nine, equanimity. Our meditation has come to perfection. When we sit down, we engage with the breath in a completely fluid and spontaneous manner. Our mind is strong, stable, clear, and joyous. We feel a complete sense of victory. We could meditate forever. Even in the back of our mind, there are no traces of thoughts. We're in union with the present moment. Our mind is at peace and powerful like a mountain. There's a sense of equanimity. This is perfection. Like a finely trained racehorse, our mind remains motionless but alive with energy. The mind is actually grown in strength as well as size. We feel magnanimous, expansive. This is the fruition of peaceful abiding. Now we have a mind that is able to focus on any endeavor. We feel centered and confident. And in the next chapter, it goes finally, well, it's not a chapter, it goes into the third segment of this book because the entire book, while broken down in chapters, is also broken into segments. And this is segment three, turning the mind into an ally. And I'm obviously not going to move on, but I will read you guys future, future excerpts from this book. I am so in love with this book. So about that, let's talk about that a little bit. First of all, I've seen this firsthand, okay? When I turned 18, 19, I think I met Tyler when I was like just turning 19 or just after I turned 19, whatever, that's irrelevant. But I had discovered meditation a little bit before meeting him. And I always knew that while finally focusing in and becoming aware of my body, soul, mind, and energy for the first time in my life, I was set on a path to meeting him. And it was meant to be. He was already long into the path of enlightenment, meditation, energy, and all the possibilities of the mind, our soul, etc. I think he had already astral projected once before as well. So he was long, long into this journey when I met him, and I was only beginning. And I had learned a lot from him and also from myself and my own journey of learning. I love learning. That's why I know so much about so many things, because I love learning about everything that I can. And I started implementing regular meditation. Now, every single thing that was said in this book is true. When you first start, and I would be starting fresh, I feel like, right now, because I stopped for so long and allowed stresses to get to my brain and unhealthy habits to build and stuff. So when you sit down and start doing this, you have so many things running through your energy and mind. So many things built up that there's just constant thought and distractions. And I love this idea of the most basic of meditations because there's a lot of different things you can do for different focuses, different tactics, different angles when it comes to meditation. But the simplicity of focusing on the breath is so important to becoming aware of yourself and your surroundings and your energy and other people's energy and things around you. This meditation is what taught me to read others' minds because I became so interconnected with myself and others. I tapped into my ability to really understand um, without them ever saying anything. But it's true. When you first start this, your brain is all over the place. You have so many thoughts going in and out, emotions, memories, traumas, 
popping in because there's things that you have not thought through and released and it's constantly going in your subconscious mind and once you finally sit down and breathe you finally pay attention to that ever ever going dialogue in your head and subconscious and by focusing on the breath you then kind of just naturally go through the processes of thinking through every bit of those traumas, memories, and emotions and finding solutions and letting go of them and coming to terms with them and whatever is necessary for that to be released from your being. You go through that process throughout trying to focus on just the breath because you're naturally going to do what's necessary and then focus on the breath and come to peace in terms with those things. So by practicing this, I had gotten what I would say to like the fourth or fifth stage. I had never completely mastered sitting down for a very long time and quieting my mind and focusing on the breath with ease. I was still getting distracted, but I was at the point where I was at peace with whatever came to my mind and was still focusing on breath while allowing those things to flow. And then I started also focusing on deeper types of meditation, like finding the the knowledge within my own DNA, connecting with my soul self, or I had a meditation where I had connected with my higher soul self and all the different lives I've had on earth. I saw them like a file system um, and just kind of saw that I was in this file currently at this stage in this life file. I mean, I know I'm saying things weird, but that's just how I saw it. Um, And that there was so much more to happen in my life, beautiful things to happen in this life, but there were so many thousands of lives in a file system just kind of lined up in this soul area. I don't even know how to explain it. It was beautiful. There were so many awesome things that had come from just sitting and practicing breath work. It is the solid foundation to spiritualness and awareness and all these things, right? Anything you can bring to your life by discovering spirituality and meditation. So I really liked that I found this entry in this book to read to you because we talk a lot about these things. We talk about meditation, focusing on the breath, manifesting with the moon cycles because we live on earth and those moon cycles and energies affect us whether we pay attention or not. You know, understanding that you have control over your life, but you also are just a being who's going to be who and where you are no matter what in the moment because things are also out of our control but at the same time our thoughts have energy and we create our reality and shift we shift timelines according to what we believe like there's so much to this but I love the thought of just the simplicity of focusing on the breath and all the things that can come with that and how many things it can open up for you you know I would have never have gotten to the point of all the things that I just mentioned if I didn't start with just focusing on the breath and meditating stretching each part of my body very deeply to loosen and relax it and become aware of it and then sit in a comfortable straightened position and focus on breathing and focus on quieting the mind or coming to terms with the things that come to the mind and still focusing on breath so I would say I got to about stage five And then I started allowing myself to get out of practice and with that allow unhealthy habits in my life. There were traumas that had come to fruition in my life and that had just kind of escalated the unhealthy habits and lack of focus and clarity and awareness. And unfortunately, much like you can go through a rolling ball of getting into spiritualism and awareness, you can also teeter the other way and roll down the other hill of, you know, not following spirituality and taking care of yourself and with going the other way when I did when I had experienced traumas and allowing all that back all the negativity and bad habits and thoughts and lack of practice into my life I also um I also stopped practicing my 
I guess I could call it religious practices, but basically I'm kind of like a witch. I don't really like calling myself that because what I really do is just practice meditation. I utilize crystals and herbs for their purposes. I follow the moon cycles and I am very interconnected with earth as we all technically are. And I utilize all of these things in one spiritual practice to keep myself on track, connected, balanced, and happy. And that is technically witchcraft, but you don't really see me setting up, you know, spell circles with candles and herbs and crystals and black salt and stuff like that. I just kind of practice spiritualism. So I'm just a spiritual person is what I say my religion is. I don't really follow any one thing. I think all things are true. Um, but I had fallen out of those practices as well. I stopped carrying crystals. I stopped journaling. I stopped podcasting. I stopped really organizing my business and kind of fell off the bandwagon. I did all kinds of weird stuff. So it's crazy to me that something so simple as practicing, focusing on the breath is such a basic meditation can be so either detrimental if you don't do it or so beautifully monumental to positive change in your life or focus, you know? So if you guys have never sat down and really done this, I highly recommend it, which is why I even put this entry in this episode. As I always recommend, I think you guys should pick up these books, and this is a fantastic one. If you have anxiety, OCD, depression especially, if you have never practiced spiritualism or meditation, or if you do and you just think this would vibe with you and this is something you want to read, I so highly recommend getting this book, and I highly recommend this meditational practice. For all the reasons that I've just said, I think it is so amazing. And I definitely think out of all the things I could ever tell you guys, according to following the cycles of the moon, things to help with yourself, you know, your mental and physical and spiritual development, your balance, any of the things I could talk about in this entire podcast of all the topics we cover, I think that this is something that is monumental to being able to truly understand and implement those things. And it's cool because when you think of the human mind, we're so naturally distracted, right? Our subconscious is constantly running with thoughts and traumas and memories and fears. And I truly think that by focusing on this type of a meditation and implementing it into your daily practice, you can kind of tap into that dialogue in the back of your mind and kind of tame it in a way and change what's going on back there into something that's more beautiful or healthy for yourself. I think as human nature, it, I think it's human nature to kind of allow that subconscious dialogue to not be the best for you. And I think that just comes with you know, natural traumas and the way you're raised and the things that you've learned, the way you view the world and things that have happened to you. That natural dialogue, if you don't constantly focus on calming your mind and focusing on positive, positive things and keeping yourself healthy mentally and physically, it kind of just runs rampant back there. You know, if you don't focus on letting go of traumas and memories that are traumatic, it's going to run back there constantly, you know? I dream about some of the traumas that I haven't released. I mean, the one with my dog dying, I still have thoughts and dreams about it. I still have fears that manifest in daily life because of what had happened and the mistakes that were made that saw me, that got me to that traumatic experience of watching him die. And same with other things, you know? So I think this is very important and I'm that's why I put it in here because I think you guys should practice this. I think that it's something be very beneficial for you to implement. And I'm so excited. This is the first full moon of getting back to this episode or getting back to this podcast. And I'm pumped. I'm pretty sure. You know what's so ironic? I'm pretty sure the first episode of me coming back, what have I done? What is this like the third episode back? Let me look at my iPad. Um... I think I started right by the new moon and then I'm now at a full moon. So I've had a full cycle of for your weekly no. <laughs> my bad. Um, I think I've had a full cycle of posting. Yeah. 
is. Oh my god. So February 4th. No, just kidding. This is the third episode. So I posted, yup, at the Pisces new moon. Talked about the Taurus moon. And now we're at the full moon. And then the fourth week of this month is just going to be whatever is relevant at the time. I don't even know yet. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. I started at a new moon. I'm at a full moon now. Full cycle, full fruition. I'll see you guys at the next freaking new moon. I'm so excited. Honestly, I do truly love this podcast. Even if it's me just kind of chalking and chilling at this point, it's fun for me. It's fun for me to go listen. And I will definitely on that note, see you guys next week. I'm grateful to anyone who's been tuning in. Again, come hang out with me on social media. The only one I've been putting down there is my Instagram, VickiLynn24. That's down there. My information for real estate is down there as well. I am a Northwest Ohio realtor, so if you need one or know someone who does want to buy or sell a house in Northwest Ohio, my phone number and email is down below so that you can get a hold of me. Um, yeah, I'll see you guys next week. I love you so much. Thanks for tuning in.